Our scripture today comes from the Wisdom of Solomon, 722-81. The spirit of wisdom is intelligent and holy. It is one of nature, but reveals itself in many ways. It is not made of any material substance, and it moves about freely. It is clear, clean, and confident. It cannot be harmed. It loves what is good. It is sharp and unconquerable, kind, and a friend of humanity. It is dependable and sure, and has no worries. It has power over everything and sees everything. It penetrates every spirit that is intelligent and pure, no matter how delicate its substance may be. Wisdom moves more easily than motion itself. She is so pure that she penetrates everything. She's a breath of God's power, a pure and radiant stream of glory from the Almighty. Nothing that is defiled can ever steal its way into wisdom. She's a reflection of eternal light, a perfect mirror of God's activity and goodness. Even though wisdom acts alone, she can do anything. She makes everything new, although she herself never changes. From generation to generation, she enters the souls of holy people and makes them God's friends and prophets. There is nothing that God loves more than people who are at home with wisdom. Wisdom is more beautiful than the sun and all the constellations. She is better than light itself, because night always follows day, but evil never overcomes wisdom. Her great power reaches into every part of the world, and she sets everything in useful order. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Loving, kind God, we give thanks for your spirit that fills our earth, that saturates our world, and enlivens our life. We pray that through your spirit we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So before we begin, I'd like everyone to get out their Bibles and turn to chapter 7 of the Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, did y'all forget your Bibles? <laughs> it's cool. Uh, not a big deal, because you probably wouldn't have found it. And by no fault of your own, it's unlikely that the wisdom of Solomon is in your Bible. It's part of the Apocrypha, which is like the director's cut of the Bible. The, it's got the books that didn't quite get included in the Bible, but were really important to the early church. So the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches uh, include the Apocrypha in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And honestly, I've never preached on anything from the Apocrypha, but today the lectionary, which sort of gives us different passages each week, uh, we have a, this passage from the Wisdom of Solomon as an optional, optional alternative scripture. And it's a beautiful and important uh, text. It contains some of the most beautifully feminine descriptions for God, and it, it presents theology that shapes Christianity. So we are going to take this opportunity to learn more 
uh, sort of about why some books make it into the Bible and some don't, and why this book in particular is so important. I'm basically going to give a sort of an overview of the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, so let's start with a quick recap of how we have the Bible that we have. Uh, I'll start by saying this. Today, the Bible or the biblical canon is fixed or closed, which means that we no longer add books to the Bible or subtract books from the Bible. But this wasn't the case when scriptures were written and when scripture was first used by faith communities. It actually isn't until hundreds of years after a book is written that it would come to be known as scripture. And, and this is, I actually took a whole class in grad school on how we have the Bible we have, and I'm just going to sum it up real quickly and say that uh, the most important reason that books were considered scripture was because faith communities used them to guide their worship and instruct their lives. And that was, and, and eventually there would be lists by church leaders and later church councils that named which books were considered scripture. But it's not like these lists uh, decide, oh, this book should be in and this one won't. It's more like they named the books that the church was already using and already considering to be scripture. And here's where it starts to get interesting. Because I said that today the bible is fixed or closed so we don't add anything to it but uh the hebrew bible or the old testament was not fixed when jesus was alive the canon wasn't closed when the new testament was written which means that there was some question about what was or wasn't scripture now some books were definitely scripture and some books were definitely not scripture usually the definitely not scriptures were more like manifestos written by religious extremists. But there were also some books that were like maybe scripture, books that were used as scripture by some folks and then not by others. And this is where the wisdom of Solomon comes in. The, the earliest and the most important Christian leader to list books of the Bible was a guy named Melito, Bishop of Sardis. This is like second century. And he included wisdom of Solomon as scripture. It's actually the first list we have. Wisdom of Solomon is in the Bible. And here's a famous one. St. Augustine considered wisdom of Solomon to be scripture. And perhaps the biggest fan of the wisdom of Solomon is the Apostle Paul. In Paul's letters, there are what, 13 of them in the New Testament? he alludes to or quotes wisdom of Solomon 21 different times, including actually, I'm going to, I'm going to show us one of these because it's kind of interesting. Romans, the book of Romans has three times where today we maybe would say that Paul plagiarized the wisdom of Solomon. And, and here is one. In Romans 9, Paul compares God to a potter. Well, if you remember or have read this part where Paul says, doesn't the potter have the power over clay to make one pot for special purposes and another for the garbage from the same lump of clay? Well, that analogy Paul borrowed from chapter 15 of the Wisdom of Solomon that says the exact same thing. Some things a potter makes 
are put to good use, some are not, but he makes them all from the same clay. The potter himself decides which objects should be used for which purposes. And in both of these, they're comparing God to the potter and us to the clay. And that, that's just one example. Uh, according to this group of famous biblical scholars, they kind of put together the Greek New Testament, the wisdom of Solomon is alluded to 60 different times in 17 different books of the New Testament. So that's sort of like why it's important. Well, that is saying that it is important. So now let's talk about why. What does it say? The wisdom of Solomon is uh, Jewish wisdom literature. So it's, it's very similar to Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Proverbs. And in these books, one of the, the central themes is on divine wisdom that's introduced as a feminine aspect of God that was formed before the earth and now inhabits the earth, delights in humanity. So the wisdom of Solomon takes that idea and develops it, presenting divine wisdom as this this eternal agent of God that directs our lives, that's involved with our every day, and, and really a part of God that's worthy of praise and prayer. And there's a particular way that's really important to, to the church that this happens. Uh, and that is by taking the Jewish idea, the Jewish concept of divine wisdom, and translating it into Greek philosophical concepts. I know that sounds boring. I'm going to try to bring it back. Hopefully it'll be interesting. I think it will. Because uh, the main concept is logos. And the wisdom of Solomon, chapter 18, describes God's wisdom as all-powerful word, or logos, that leapt from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed. And, and that's particularly important because the Gospel of John will do the exact same thing to introduce Jesus as the Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the Word. Logos became flesh and made his home among us. Basically, the wisdom of Solomon shows early Christians how to explain the incarnation to a non-Jewish audience. And it also develops an idea of the afterlife. Because, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked for references to heaven in the Old Testament. If so, there are, there's only two spots in the whole Old Testament that refer to anything that resembles heaven or a positive afterlife for those that are righteous. But the wisdom of Solomon takes that little Jewish idea and expands it and explains that being made in the image of God also includes sharing immortality with God. So basically this book lays the groundwork for Jesus to talk about eternal life and salvation. So to kind of sum that up, Wisdom of Solomon is probably the most important book, a uh, most important like non-canonical book book that's not in the Bible, because it's this transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It takes Jewish theology and 
uses Greek concepts to prepare people for the central ideas of Christianity. It's, it's this bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But if it's that important, why isn't it in the Bible? <laughs> why not include it? Well, uh, the wisdom of Solomon, at, uh, especially in like the last, what would it be, five, at last eight chapters, it starts recounting biblical history. And it takes certain liberties. Uh, when describing, this is, I picked out my favorite of said liberties. When describing the plagues in Egypt, it says, you, God, could have created new and terrible animals that could breathe fire or roar and send out clouds of smoke or shoot fearful sparks from their eyes. You could have made animals like these that wouldn't even have to attack people to kill them, but could scare them to death just by looking at them. <laughs> yeah. So, apparently that didn't cut it. <laughs> and and that's, that's actually part of a larger theme uh, towards the end of the book where the author, it's, it's strange, the author bounces back and forth between beautiful descriptions of God, and then there'll be these terrible descriptions of other ethnic groups that deserve painful deaths, if not for the grace of God. And since the early church welcomed all of those ethnic groups, it, it wasn't a great look. So ultimately, I mean, uh, the Wisdom of Solomon is, is the book that was the most disputed and didn't make it in to the Bible. And so it wasn't included in the biblical canon, but the early church said that it was valuable for Christians to read and even valuable to use in church, which is why it's in the Apocrypha and why it made it into our lectionary schedule of readings. So that's sort of an overview of the book. But what about us? What do we do with the wisdom of Solomon? I mean, and that, I guess that's up to you. Uh, maybe I hope that we appreciate it for what it is. An imperfect book that's still really valuable as it gives us insight for how Christians understood God, early Christians. A book that reminds us that parts of our faith tradition have been overlooked, particularly the feminine aspects of God that have been overlooked in our male-centered church. Because according to Jewish wisdom literature, God doesn't show up in some of the ways that we see God showing up in American Christianity as a powerful protector or as a divine judge. God comes as wisdom. Wisdom that, according to our text from today, is a perfect mirror of God's activity, a mirror of God's goodness. She's revealed in all kinds of different ways. And I love that it says that, that she enters the souls of holy people and makes them friends with God. She's kind, powerful, friendly, intelligent, subtle, beautiful, free from anxiety. Her power reaches every part of the world, 
and she makes all things new. Right? That, this is a portrait of God. A portrait of God that would have been familiar to Jesus. A portrait of God that's distinctly feminine. A portrait of God that's probably lacking today. And, and one of the, the deep ironies is that the Jewish conception of divine wisdom, it's actually so similar to the Christian understanding of Christ and Jesus that it almost gets replaced in Christianity. Like I, earlier I showed John chapter 1. There Christ is presented as, as the word in a way that's almost identical to how wisdom of Solomon describes divine wisdom. Both in John and in wisdom of Solomon, wis they were wisdom and the word were present before creation. Both are in all things throughout the earth. Both came from heaven to dwell among us. So I think it's, it's fair to say that in Christianity, Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. And there are even a few places where Jesus seems to refer to himself as wisdom. So it, it really, Wisdom of Solomon gives us this wonderful bridge, this beautiful transition from Jewish thought to Christian thought. And, and I love that about it. But I also realize that that transition is so seamless that we went from a Jewish conception of God, God that accompanied us in a distinctly feminine divine wisdom, we went from that to a Christian understanding where God's earthly presence is as a human male. So I guess for me, as I, I find myself wanting to go back to the wisdom of Solomon in search of a fuller picture of God. And I would, if that sounds good, I would invite you to as well. I mean, like, like everything else, wisdom of Solomon is messy and imperfect. And it also gives us the opportunity to go back before Jesus and rediscover God's femininity to claim this beautiful part of our heritage, a beautiful, wise, creative, eternal feminine, to connect with our creator through wisdom that's embedded in all creation, to paint a portrait for ourselves of God as mother, sister, and daughter. Because in that portrait that's deeply embedded, that comes, that flows out of our Jewish roots, we find a face of God. Thanks be to God.